Technically, it's three camps. We have three different encampments. Camp Brookwoods. Brookwoods. Camp Deer Run. Camp Deer Run. River Outpost. Three camps. Moreau and Brookwoods. Deer Run. River Outpost. The Three Camps Podcast. With your hosts, John Cooper and Seth Coates. Three camps. Hello and welcome to our sixth episode broadcasting from the Brookwood Studios. I'm John Cooper and with me is Seth Coates. Hello. Um, how are you doing this week? Pretty good. We um, The big thing in the uh, MRO office is uh, Maine State Guidelines came out this week. So the, the real, real guidelines. Um, nice. Yeah, which is good. Um, I think... Based on the like worst case scenario plans I've already made, like they, I was encouraged, they look doable. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, there were a couple of things that came in like less restrictive than I was anticipating, um, so that was really cool. So yeah, I'll go over that with the parents that joined me on a Zoom call. I think it's first week of April, first full week, so not next week, but the one after. I awesome. Think. Yeah. Awesome. Well, on our end, uh, we have continued to have some groups in. Um, we uh, have some good podcasts coming down the pike. We got some good episodes coming. Uh, I want to encourage everyone. We're still taking voicemails on the heroes, unsung heroes at camp. We've actually been getting some really great ones, but um, could always use more. So we'll uh, we'll have that coming also in the future. And then Seth, we've had a lot of people say, oh, well, "What are you guys going to do? Just take three months off, you know, for the summer." <laughs> Um, and we should tell people we're not like, we're going to try and make this work. Uh, we have some ideas as to how we can do that. And also we're thinking maybe even doing some kind of live podcast, right? Some, yeah. Like a real time update from summer camp. Yeah. I think it'd be fun to pop into a cabin and have some people kind of give their highlights of the week or whatever. And we could kind of capture some of that. Yeah. So the podcast may look a little different. We probably will still have some episodes that are how we've done, but we might even try and do some other things that would be fun for yeah, summer capture. Yeah. So I was talking with someone recently about how in some ways you and I feel like the podcast, it doesn't have like a, a rinse repeat identity yet. You kind of each episode has felt a little or looked a little different. Yeah. Um, so you can just kind of expect that to keep up <laughs> over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, that's actually so true. Yeah. Like even in the last episode, I had said something about this is going to be a different podcast for us. And I thought, what do I keep saying this? It's, yeah. They're always different. Well, yeah. and even even just like, I think it's four and a half weeks from now, I go to Maine to start opening, which yeah. means like in order to record that week's stuff or shop talk or whatever we're doing, um, I'm going to have to like get on a Zoom call, Zoom John from our office uh, in the midst of all the other stuff that I'm, that I'm doing. So it's, it's just going to get different, I guess, over the next couple months and we'll do the best we can and hopefully it'll still be something worth listening to. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, so for this episode, we have a couple of people that um, come on the show with us. Uh, we should tell people this is going to be an episode that kind of highlights something specific uh, with uh, camp, but it's also something that has a lot of legs to kind of extend to other, just about everyone can kind of extrapolate things out of this that are relevant to their lives and relevant to the gospel and even just camp itself. But sadly, the one thing that won't take place at Brookwoods and Deer Run this year is SALT, which is our servant and leadership training 
um, program. And so, Seth, you and I had the opportunity to talk to some people about that. Uh, and again, maybe more to the point, it's just some fun stories about what people encountered inside the SALT program. Because of the way the program is designed, we just weren't able to do it in a COVID year. But uh, we thought we'd do this to just kind of remember and also to look forward to uh, what will be coming back when we have the opportunity to do it. Episode six, baby. Vamos a entrar en ella. John, we're going to hear first from Matt Veselkov, which is maybe an important part of the story because he was the first person to build, to work on building salt. Uh, my name's Matt Veselkov. Go by Matt. I spent 14 summers of my life in Brookwoods. I was a two-week camper for several years. My wildcat summer, I stayed for a month, but funneled into two summers in LDP. And then in college... I was an LDP counselor for two summers on staff. And then my right after college, I came back and spent two more summers working on staff. That's when I was a part of launching the SALT program. Oh, always a bottom bunker. Why? Because you can control more of the space under the bed. You know? Like, you got to carve out a little niche for yourself at camp, right? And personal space, there's not much of it, but you want to be on the bottom. And on the bottom, close to the counselor's bed, because that's the cleanest part of the cabin. Used to deny this part of myself, but I'm a maniacally neat person. If I was in that first clean bunk next to the counselor, there'd never be a mess there. It was the dream. Uh, you know what? It's so unique. Like, there's only two options, right? Top bunk or bottom yeah. bunk. But everybody has a different. Reason. So far, yes. I mean, we haven't repeated yet. That's a good one, though. Under the bed is strong. Fun fact about Matt is his mom grew up going to Deer Run, and his wife also went to Deer Run. My mother was from Boston, grew up on the South Shore, was raised going to camp. We grew up in downtown Baltimore, which was a fantastic experience. But my mom had always loved New England, loved the mountains, loved the outside, and wanted us to have a New England experience even growing up in Baltimore. So it was a pretty neat touch point for her to get to send us there. And that was my foray into camp. She went to Deer Run? Yeah, my mom was, went to Deer Run. What was her maiden name? Hess. Catherine Hess. Catherine Hess. Kathy Hess. Cool. Yeah. All right. I met, yeah, I met my wife at camp. She was a little younger than me when I was on staff. She was a camper, didn't really interact then, but I came back and in my second run, when I was working in the leadership programs, she was an LDP counselor. We met that summer. It was really neat. Uh, and then started dating that fall after camp season. So I, I spent 14 summers of my life at Brookwoods. And I think there's a couple of real distinctives that stand out that I've taken away from my time as a camper that are now still a part of my life as an adult. I mean, first and foremost, I'd say my relationship with Christ. My mother is convinced that I gave my life to the Lord at five years old. I speak about giving my life to Christ as a mooser at eight years old. That's, wow. that's the conversion experience that I remember. So ultimately gave my life to Christ here. I think it also taught me the value of community in a really palpable way. Um, meeting my wife, meeting some of my closest friends at Brookwoods and people who really knew and loved me for who I was apart from my performance and to have folks to hash out my faith with. That was an enormous part of Brookwoods. And then I think the one that goes untouched is probably a, a love for spending time with the Lord on my own. I think about an LDP, 50 minutes a day of quiet time every day on the front lawn and solos. Uh, yeah. As I've gotten older and walked through some really challenging experiences in my life, I think my ability to meet with the Lord one-on-one -on -one 
was birthed at camp. And I'm so grateful for that. And you even have that as campers, right? You get 20 minutes a day. I think that's so cool. Um, and all of those experiences were fantastic. But I do feel like one thing that I didn't get at camp was a vision for missions and service, which is so integral to the heart of the gospel. Growing up in downtown Baltimore, grew up around a lot of urban missions projects with my folks that was near and dear to their heart. And then they were also involved in a lot of humanitarian nonprofit work in Africa. And so we took two trips as a family, missions-oriented trips there. And I think a big part of the spiritual ethic my parents wanted to instill in us was that God cares about the least, the lost, and the last. There's an awesome vision for service and all we do. There's an awesome vision for relationship. It's not to say that doesn't exist and we're not teaching that, but in a really practical way, Brookwich is a bubble. And then I thought, gosh, if there was a way to bring that vision of the gospel into the remarkable experience that Brookwood's had, that would be really, really unique. And so that's where a lot of the passion came from. Along with Matt having a great background to develop the SALT program, he also sought out um, some wisdom and guidance from uh, camp favorite Cheryl Crawford. Yeah, she was awesome. I think personal connection to Cheryl for me, which was so neat. She was my mom's youth pastor uh, at South Shore Baptist Church way back in the day. And so when I came to camp and she was on staff, uh, I just thought it was so cool that she had known my mother and was here. You want to talk about a legacy of faithfulness over decades. I think Cheryl embodies that in terms of having a profound impact on my mom's spiritual development, but then also on my own. And when I was up at camp that fall, or that, no, spring, planning salt, got the directive from the board. Cheryl had always been pushing camp to say, I think we could be more others focused. I think we could be more service focused. And so when I came up here and Bob said, hey, let's try to build this salt thing together, she was one of my first calls. And she really led me to the verse in Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which I think really launched what the program could look like. And she said, hey, if you're talking about service, this I think is a really cool vision for kingdom service. Can we bring that into the program? And so it was pretty neat. She had me out to her house in LA and we kind of sat in her kitchen over a cup of coffee and talked about her vision. And I think as I had started it, when you're talking about building anything at camp, there is such a legacy of generational faithfulness here and you don't want to just do it on your own. You go, there's so many great folks who have been thinking about this longer than I have. How do you start to seek and pull in some of their wisdom? And so Cheryl was definitely on that list and was really excited to help bring something that she had been passionate about for a long, long time to fruition. So it was a natural point to bring her in on that. Of course, the building of the SALT program wouldn't be complete without input and guidance from our very own Executive Director, Bob Strodel. One of the things that I love about Bob is not only his love of legacy, but also his vision to think forward and think about what do campers need, not just right now, but also moving forward into the future. And so I think Bob had the sense to say, you know, is there anything missing from our programs at camp right now? And I think, you know, I think that wilderness piece we brought back in a really palpable way in launching Moose River Outpost. I mean, if you go up there, you just feel like it's wild. And it's no joke that we've launched the wild program up there now where they cook all their own meals. That's awesome. And so you had that piece, but I think Bob was also starting to think about, is there a way to bring service into this? Is there a way to not just be in the woods, but to take the camp experience to different contexts? Um, Becky St. John was an old cook at camp, and she would always say on the last night of camp, one thing that I thought was really cool is, hey, when you leave camp, you're actually taking a piece of camp home with you, and it's more than this place. It's the community and the relationships you're building. And so I think there was also this sense of, could camp exist in other contexts, not just in the woods? at MRO or in the White Mountains or at 34 Camp Brookwoods Road, but hmm. in cities, um, you know, in Nogales, Mexico. And it was pretty cool to think about, like, can we take the best of what we have here 
and start to share in other contexts. So as Seth and I said at the top, we had the chance to have a couple different people come in studio and talk over this SALT experience and the SALT program. Obviously, we've heard from Matt Veselkiv, but we were also able to get in a camper and a leader who both were part of SALT One in 2019. So first, we'll bring in Ryan Cologne. Well, I'm Ryan Cologne. I went to camp for six years. So I was definitely a top bunker during my time at camp. And the reason for that is the way that Brookwoods stacks the shelves. If you have a top bunk, you get the extra top level. And that's a whole nother row for, for your storage. So I, I always took it for that reason. Sadly, Ryan was a real part of the collateral damage of 2020. He started Salt 1 in 2019 and was unable to have a Salt 2 year in 2020. Next, we're going to bring in Alexa Tabone who was Ryan's SALT leader in 2019. Hi, I'm Alexa Tabone. I worked one summer, it was 2019, and actually just got married a month prior to that summer. And so I lived in our apartment down the road and then we quickly got moved into the long cottage. So I uh, spent my f first few months married, living at camp, which was kind of fun. And my preference is definitely the bottom bunk. I'm blind as a bat, so as soon as I take my contacts out, I can't see anything, so I'd rather not be on a top bunk. Uh, but when I was a camper growing up, I always loved being on the top bunk, but not anymore. It was interesting. You know, these interviews took place about a month apart, and what was neat was hearing the overlap between Matt kind of outlining what the program was supposed to be and then hearing Alexa and Ryan talk about their experience, which really coincided with what Matt was describing. We thought a fun way to illustrate that would be to, for the rest of the episode, have some moments where Matt is kind of setting the scene and then Alexa and Ryan kind of describing their own firsthand experience of their SALT program. Here's Matt. In SALT, we were trying to give a vision for Kingdom service and what that looks like. So we actually kind of cast a vision for what that looks like in the first couple of days of SALT. We really built around Acts 1-8. So the idea was you introduce that concept on the first couple of days, and then you're going to spend the next, you know, four, eight weeks fleshing out what that program looks like. So we started with service in camp, then you start to serve in the surrounding area in New Hampshire, and then you finish with this great trip where you go to Mexico, which was kind of representing to the ends of the earth. And so you start by introducing that concept in the first couple of days and say, we're going to flesh out a practical vision for what that looks like. And the hope was that was something that campers could hold on to and mirror throughout the rest of their life. So you're trying to create this compelling vision for what faithful kingdom service could look like over a lifetime by letting them practice an example of what that looks like over a couple of weeks at camp. You're getting that sort of simultaneous give and take where you come in as a servant. Your your objective is to, to give to other people, to be that extra set of hands at camp, to be um, just the, the extra pair of hands wherever they need it, whether that be the kitchen, whether that be working on the trails, whether that just be picking up trash, all of that kind of stuff, bringing those extra hands around camp and additionally traveling. The SALT program and the campers definitely, they definitely have characteristics of being willing to be thrown into any situation. You know, one day they're hiking, the next day they're serving at a food pantry, the next day we're on a mission trip in Mexico and they are just so willing to roll the punches and be used wherever. 
salt it's pretty much nonstop. You're you're going from from service to service, activity to activity, you're traveling all around. It's pretty nonstop. So I would say the the, the high points that really stick out was right at the beginning we hiked Mount Washington. Uh, we did a 40 mile bike ride, uh, and then the next day we were traveling to Lincoln, New Hampshire, to serve at the Loon Mountain Ministries. Um, we came back, did some work around camp, and then we were on a flight to Tucson, Arizona. Wow. And we we were there for we were there for a day or two, um, and then on a bus to Nogales, Mexico, crossing the border. We were there for about five days doing um, service in and around Nogales. From there, we went back across the border, drove back to Phoenix, and from there to the Grand Canyon, where we stayed for we stayed for four days, um, doing a mixture of um, reflection from our time. We did a we did a 12 hour solo, and just, you know, spending time out in the outdoors and God's creation, um, and then flying right back home, two more days at camp. And then that was our month. That's crazy. That is crazy. I didn't realize it was that rapid fire so one of the i remember among the directors um i remember one of the feedbacks i forget who gave it but somebody's feedback was that salt had too intense of a schedule that it was just like bam 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 and i think the feedback then was hoping to build in um significant or enough adequate um reflection time and i think that's some of what the grand canyon is built for right in the trip yeah okay we've packed a lot in I will say we did have a lot of time driving in the vans where we kind of got to debrief and was more of a an off time. So it definitely was a lot, but with all the traveling and then also the solo time in the Grand Canyon and we would debrief pretty much every night. I feel like we had a lot of moments uh, where we were debriefing around a campfire at night with the leader of the day giving a devotional and just talking about how the day went. Speaking of drive time, Alexa and Ryan had this kind of crazy trip to Arizona before they were going to cross into Mexico. Yeah. Oh, it was it was quite the, the the trek across Arizona. So how it was was we we touched down um we touched down in Phoenix at night and we we got to our So they spend the night in Phoenix um, uh, with the intention of getting up the next morning, up, renting um, a 15 passenger van and then driving um, to Tucson which is about a two-hour drive. What no one knew was that these rental car companies have an age restriction on renting 15-passenger vans. I think you have to be over 25. So the best they could do was just rent a minivan, which was problematic because there's about 13 people in the group uh, in a car that holds seven. So Alexa, the, the, the selfless leader she is, drove half the group to Tucson, drove back, Picked up the second half in Phoenix and drove back to Tucson. How long? Alexa drive was, was that? on the road. It was, it was two was... hours one way. Oh. So I did that three times. I just want to shout out Jersey knows how to drive. Okay. I'm just gonna say right now, Jersey <laughs> in the house. <laughs> Unfortunately, this wow. doesn't totally solve their problem still. Yes, they're in Tucson and they can cross the border, but now they have the same issue when they want to get back with the group and we still don't have a solution. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh no, what are we gonna do? But everyone back at camp had us in their prayers and Tim Nielsen knows so many people, just a whole network of people. And he just is one of those people that knows a ton of people. So So Tim Nielsen, our director of ministry services, he does, he knows everyone, uh, was able to work this out that they were able to get uh, rides from Tucson 
to the Grand Canyon. And actually the guy that Tim knew who was able to help was actually a guide at the Grand Canyon. So he was able to kind of hook up our group with all the non-touristy best places to be. And it was just one of those moments where a lot of things came together and the group really felt blessed and taken care of both by the Lord and by the support team. I just remember feeling immediately relieved and I just knew that God was God took care of us and it was just really cool to see for all of us to be able to be like we had this need and it was just filled and like to be able to see that tangibly happen Mm. is really cool I mean not surprisingly but still so at this point the group heads to Mexico what would it look like to take the lens of the best of Brooklyn and like think outside of our own space and our own context and that's where I thought about service and mission, but I, I also didn't want it to just be a missions trip in Mexico, because I think that creates this space where you go like, I have to go across the other side of the world to do service. And I don't think that's ultimately what God wants us to. I think he calls us to a particular time in a particular place. And I think he wants us to ultimately show up and be faithful in the communities that we've been given. I also wanted to be really careful not to think that um, put it in a place where Brookwood's campers are better than people who live in Nogales, Mexico, because they come from affluence, where there's this long history in the gospel where actually affluence can get in the way of understanding who God really is. And so there was definitely the piece of like, let's expose Brookwood's and Deer Run campers to real poverty to understand that the way they're living and the way they've been raised is not a unique experience for everyone, and to show them that God also cares for and shows up in these communities in really palpable ways. It's hard to describe the feeling when you when you know you're stepping out of your known world, but it's it's such a different feeling when you're about to leave the country and and go into Mexico. It's there's so many thoughts kind of racing through your head. I remember thinking just like how how is this going to how is this going to go? What am I going to have to do? What is how is this going to affect me as a person? And I all of those thoughts were kind of racing through my head as we're, we're getting down to the border and, and we walk across into Mexico and already it feels like just such a different world that we're stepping into, the way that the, the buildings look. Here's Alexa. We walked across the border, you know, we were waiting at the Burger King on the United States side and then we walked across and they didn't even check our passports or anything. and. Then we got picked up and we got driven three miles down the road. So we were not far from the U.S. at all, but just the the drastic difference. And I think I've been on mission trips in the past where you fly to another country and you feel so far away from home because, you know, you got there by airplane. But for us, we crossed the border. So I think that really just opened up our perspective so much because we were really close to the U.S. But I mean, the poverty is just... It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to process for all of us. What kind of stuff did they have you guys do in Nogales when you're down there? So when we were down there, we were doing a whole lot of different, um, a whole lot of different kind of projects around there because the the Kiram House does a lot of um, a lot of outreach work. They do construction for their for their neighbors. They help put in concrete floors for um, a lot of the homes that are built on hills and are fairly unstable. Um, so they do a lot of concrete work to try to help stabilize these homes in Nogales. Um, but they also, like I said, do a lot of outreach, especially to the the children in the neighborhood, because a lot of the a lot of the parents work in local factories. Um, so a lot of these children are the the very young children are 
need stuff to do during the day. A lot of our work was when we weren't doing construction, we were just playing with all these young um, Mexican children. And it, so there are these moments when you're with these, with these kids um, playing and you're, you're struggling with the language barrier. You're trying to have these interactions. You're trying to have these moments and you don't know how to speak to them. And I, I remember this one, this one kid, he must've been about five. He runs up to me and he says, Pelota, Pelota. And with my limited Spanish knowledge, I know that means ball. So I'm like, Pelota, Pelota. I know what that means, Pelota. Um, and so we just had this this unspoken, well, mildly spoken moment. The only word was Pelota. <laughs> but we had the we had this moment of connection. And it, it, it was so special that I was able to, you know, travel into Mexico and have these moments where it, you, you step out of the, you kind of step out of the moment. You feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself in this, in this world. I mean, there was just this moment where you're staying in this tiny little monastery in this border town in Nogales, Mexico. You're 20 miles from the United States, but it couldn't be farther away. And, you know, the sun sets over this hill in Nogales and all the lights pop up and you're staying with a group of, you know, Mexicans who work, alongside the guy from the States who runs this convent and, you know, they speak very little English, but you know, your campers are playing cards, which I know we're technically not supposed to do at camp, but you know, this is the way we could connect with people who don't speak English. You've had a whole day, you know, painting houses for folks in this neighborhood alongside these Mexican believers. And you're watching Brookwood's kids just click with them and you go, that's it. Right. Like you you think about all the narratives this country has around a border town Um, And you think about all the ways that kids from more privileged environments, the Northeast, how just how far away and how different their lives are from people on the border. But like we have this shared faith, we're serving together. And now all of a sudden we're in this space connecting together. And then that leading into worship that evening when Mm. you're singing worship songs that you know with a chorus in English and a chorus in Spanish. And you're just going like, this is a little taste of what heaven is supposed to be like, and we're experiencing it now, and that's incredible. I was just thinking about that one afternoon where we were working on just mixing cement and making a floor for a house that wasn't very large, but it took us all afternoon. And even though there were just these small houses being improved across the neighborhood, that that has such a big impact on someone's life, even though it may not seem like much, that that floor getting put in and later on that house getting built, even though it's in the grand scheme, it may not seem like a huge deal. We made an impact. And I think even though we were serving, we got blessed even more in return, like tenfold in return, you know? So I Mm. just think about that. Yeah. You need to have a vision for serving right where you are. And I think God's vision to transform the world for his kingdom is faithful believers in every context and site. So that was also where it's like, it's really important to serve at camp. Like this is a place you love. Don't just take from camp, give back to camp. So we are going to serve in the kitchen. We are going to help on the maintenance staff. So go help make camp a better place. Cause that's also a part of what service is, but then also think about people outside your own context. And I think that's where the gospel gets so interesting when you start to see God showing up in real and palpable ways for people from completely different contexts. And that can really have these like aha spiritual moments to see. I think a moment that really stuck out to me in Mexico was, um, I believe it was our last day. Um, They were helping one of the one of the houses down the street from the Kiram house um, had this big 
pile of earth next to the house, um, which was really unstable, and they needed to put in a uh, put in a wall of rocks to protect this house in case there was a, a landslide. So we're all down there, and they have these rocks about the size of someone's forearm. They're big, heavy rocks, and our job was to pick these rocks up and walk them over to the rock wall where there were men on ladders putting the rocks into this um, structure that they built. Um, and then they would pour in concrete and have a have a wall built in. And the, the first 20 minutes I'm there, I'm lifting these rocks myself and I'm walking them over and I'm handing them. And it was weighing on me. I'm feeling it on my shoulders. I'm feeling it on my arms. It was a tiring experience. And I, I hit a point where I'm like, yeah, it's, it's hot. I'm feeling overheated. I'm feeling weak. I can't keep doing this. And one of my one of my friends in the trip, Charlie, he says, just pass it to me. And so I did. I just handed, I picked up a rock and I handed it to him and he walked it over. We kept doing that for a little bit until another friend of mine, Elise, she says, I'm joining. So we passed it to Charlie, pass it to her. She walks it to the, to the wall. And suddenly there's a chain of all 13 of us just passing these rocks down the hill. And it felt like such a key moment of salt. It felt like it summarized the whole program where you have to put your trust in others. You have to be part of something that's bigger. You have to be willing to tire. You have to be willing to feel this ache, this pain from all of the service, the, the toll that it takes on your body. But in that moment, you're part of something. You're with a group of people. You're putting your trust in them and you're doing work for others. And it, it's a very meaningful moment for me. Just as a leader on the trip, it was just really cool to see all of you guys, again, just jumping right in and everyone just playing to each other's strengths. And I know we we talked about the Sermon on the Mount earlier in Salt, about how we want to be the light of the world, how we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I definitely saw that from you guys. And so it was just a really incredible experience to see mm. you guys go from serving locally in New Hampshire, right outside of Brookwoods, to then serving in Mexico. It was just really, really cool. So then as the program goes, the SALT team would leave Mexico and head to the Grand Canyon for some time of reflection. And then two days later, to take those same campers on a road trip up to the Grand Canyon and to find a spot on the rim of Grand Canyon and give them a 10-hour solo and say the same God who showed up in that tiny little town in Nogales, Mexico, it's also powerful enough to dig the Grand Canyon out of nothing and just sit on that and just to watch kids' minds explode with how good and amazing and awesome God is, that, that was a really good moment. Well, when we, were, when we were in Mexico, I think I felt God's presence in the people. Those moments with people, you can really feel God's presence in the, in the, the people of the world around you. When we got to the Grand Canyon, you feel God's presence in in the location, in the landscape. I have a fear of heights. Um, so <laughs> we get there Perfect. and I'm terrified. Yeah. I can't get closer to than 10 feet from the edge or else I'm hyperventilating. I didn't want you to get any closer. I did not want any campers <laughs> going off the edge. We yeah. talked about safety. Yes, yes. <laughs> and so I'm you can feel the presence of God in the in the majesty of the location, in just this sort of breathtaking, quite literally, this breathtaking place. I'm sitting there on the edge of the Grand Canyon, 
And I'm thinking about all those, all of those moments where stepping away from myself, stepping away from my own needs, from my own wants, and just doing something for someone else. Little moments where you're making a change in someone's life. And I think as I'm sitting there on the Grand Canyon, I'm realizing that that's what being a servant leader is. Someone who's willing to make those little sacrifices, someone who's willing to go out there and live for others, someone who's willing to go interact with their community and meet people and speak with them and learn about them, I think is something that really was earth shattering from salt. And it's something that's really affect how I live my life since. Yeah, it is. So John, as we're like wrapping up here, um, curious, uh, when I was young, I was at the Grand Canyon, but I'm curious, like, have you been, can you wrap your head around kind of like what Ryan was talking about? Yeah, I, yes, I have been. And it is a really great thing to think about when you're hearing Ryan talk is, you know, anyone who's seen it, man, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like confused. <laughs> I was younger too. And I was like, I don't, I'm just not even sure what I'm looking at right now. And it's funny, you know, it's a, it seems like a really powerful finish to what was a pretty powerful trip or a powerful uh, four weeks. And I don't know about you, but like not knowing the origin story of Salt until now and hearing the intention and you know the process of putting this together what was about five years ago and then hearing somebody kind of you know, years down the path, have a very similar experience as the one that was intended. I mean, it's neat to think, you know, Bob and and Matt had this idea. Um, you know, Matt going to Cheryl and getting that great verse in Acts one eight. You know, I think it's cool that true it stayed true to form. You know, and I think it seems like it will continue to do so when it comes back. Yeah, totally. I think it will, and. uh I think it's great that like missions, others focused. Um, I mean, I've heard you talk about this, even the, the kids that the salt campers that you've had serve in the kitchen. Like you can tell they came with that mindset, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, and they're gritty. Like, I think that we've used that word in the pod before, but salt has like a legit grit to it. You know, they kind of get, they get dirty in all the right ways. And I know you knew Cheryl. Yeah. on the board yeah um i never had the pleasure but it's neat to think that it's a legacy of hers that this continues yeah totally it's fun to hear that impact all the way back to matt and and you know and like you just said see it play all the way through um to the last batch of campers that salt had yeah and hopefully into the future yeah definitely as we were talking i was thinking about in the future when salt comes back on our schedule and happens again um, I wanted to ask Ryan about what could that person, someone who signs up for SALT, expect from the program? I think SALT is an opportunity to, to travel, to meet new people, to grow in a community, to build some lifelong connections, to grow in your relationship with God, and to serve others, to have this moment where you're stepping out of your own needs and your own desires and you're, you're truly living for others. And I think it's a, a very special, unique experience. A big thank you to Matt Veselkiv, Ryan Colon, and Alexa Tabone for joining us on the show today. 
We want to thank you for tuning in to our sixth episode. The Three Camps Podcast is produced by Seth Coates and myself. Keep checking in on the voicemail. We're still taking unsung heroes. Like I said earlier, we're getting some really good ones, and we thank you for that. Thanks for coming along with us on this podcast. We hope it's reflective and fortifying and maybe just a little relaxing, too. So long. Best meal of that month. One day in Mexico where we went down to the like town center of Nogales and we went to this place that sold um, burritos with nothing in them except either chicken or steak. You got you got meat and it was wrapped up in a tortilla. And I'm going in there thinking like, all right, this is going to be dense. This is going to be heavy. This is going to be a tough eat. And I, oh my gosh, this meat was cooked to perfection. It was, it, it, it was, I would be unfair to not call it a life-changing burrito. <laughs> <laughs>